Genesis chapter 22. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. Now, a few months, I don't know, weeks, months, whatever, back, we were talking quite a bit about parables. Well, here's one parable that I didn't get. Now, there's lots of parables in the Bible. We didn't near cover them all, and then you've even got a bunch of parables in the Old Testament. So if you actually were going to do a series on the parables, you'd have a long, a long series. But this is one I think maybe we can use. We can use them all. First, let's look at Matthew 22. Verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables, said, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son. Now notice, he said a certain king. He didn't name him. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. And that word bidden is just called. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I prepared my dinner, and my, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. So a farmer and a merchant. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. This is getting pretty serious, isn't it? But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers. And burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden or called were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, or in here, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of the parable that Jesus gives us here of the wedding feast. <clears throat> now, we must not just extract scripture from its context. You really can't find out what God's saying if you do that. We must take it within its context. Well, the context would be chapter 21, chapter 22, chapter 23. This is not just a scatteradical bunch of sayings put jammed together. It's a continual narrative. The author of this is... Matthew's writing it, but the author is the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And this, the whole context, would start in Genesis. And I'm going to show you just a minute, minute how that really is. Literally, true. That is the context. So when the Bible says that there's no scripture of any private interpretation, that's what that means. You can't take a scripture and interpret it Without its context. We sit done all the time. You showed it to me the other night. Or the day. Anyway. You just can't do that. Now. Jesus is teaching the Pharisees something here. Quite a bit really. 
And the nail is driven home by this parable. Look back at chapter 21, verse 45 and 46. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. <laughs> Brother Gum, was you talking to me? <laughs> ah, no difference in that. <laughs> but when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. The multitude did. So they left him alone then. That's, they wanted to get him a lot. And they finally got him when God let them get him. But they have perceived now that he's talking about them. Well, that means that this parable is talking about them also. Well, look over chapter 23. And verse oh, 31. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye, you all are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill you up then the measure of your fathers. You remember last week? The measure of your fathers. Fill you up. Go ahead. You've got a limit. You've got a predestinated limit of how far you're going to go. Go ahead and fill it up. And when it's filled up, look out. Verse 33. You thought John the Baptist only one did this. These are red letters. These are Jesus' words. The sweet Jesus that everybody said, I just love Jesus' teachings. That's what they say. I don't believe it. Now, I don't believe that Old Testament. I don't believe that Old Testament God. I don't believe all that stuff. But I do believe in the writings of Jesus. The love of Jesus. You ever hear that? Oh, you hear it all over. He says in verse, where am I? 33. <laughs> Y'all servants, you generation of vipers, you're snakes, and you are the offspring of snakes. Vipers are poisonous snakes. How can you all escape the damnation or the judgment of hell? People don't like to hear that talked about. But here's the, here's the writings of the love of Jesus. Verse 38. I'm skipping here for a little bit. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Well, <laughs> this is all to the Pharisees. But now let me say this. Though we're not ethnic Jews, lost people fit in here too. All right. Our precious Lord did not shrink from the task of rebuking these people with the truth. Now lots of folks do not want us preachers to tell all the truth. Hold back preacher. Be wise. You lose too many people that way. And Jesus lost a lot of them. But now here and nowhere is the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man more clearly presented than in this parable. Now, 
in this parable, we've got a king. Now, who's represented by the king? God. You've got a son. Who's represented by the son? Christ. You've got servants. Who's represented by the servants? The prophets to John the Baptist and then the 12 apostles. You've got the call, the bidden. They were the Jews. You've got the feast. Christ and his gospel. We take the Lord's Supper. Do we not feast on him in a picture? But we're to literally feast on him spiritually. All things are ready. It is finished. There's the highways. That's the outcast, the Gentiles. The city is destroyed. That would be Jerusalem. And by whom? Titus, 70 AD. And then that fellow doesn't have on a wedding garment. Now I know we don't do weddings like they did. And it takes a little study uh, through the, the customs and all of Jerusalem and the time of Christ. That's very available. You can find that. Thompson's the land and the book and many others. Smith's Bible Dictionary, many, many others. I'll give you some of those customs. But this fellow came in to that wedding without a wedding garment. And what's a wedding garment? Robe of righteousness. Amen. Not our own, but his righteousness. Christ's righteousness. And then he says, outer darkness, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, there would be hellfire. So those are the things to note about this parable. Our first lesson here would be God's gracious invitation. Go out, or first call the Jews. But they said they're not, they don't want it. They won't come. He said, go to the Gentiles. He tells us to go into all the world teaching and preach the gospel to every creature. Now the hard shells don't like that. But that's what Jesus said, that's what the Bible says do. Now, that doesn't mean anything against God's eternal unconditional election not at all he's talking human responsibility and he's talking about our responsibility to God to do what God says preach the gospel to everybody nobody's going to come because of my preaching the gospel I can't ever carve a notch in my Bible because somebody came to Christ I'm just sowing the seed And if it doesn't come in the power of the Holy Spirit, it won't accomplish anything. Or it will accomplish something. It'll drive you further into judgment and hell. But, because we're responsible for what we hear. But this invitation does no violence to election. Understand this. No one deserves to hear the gospel. Sometimes you'll hear this among Armenian churches. No one deserves to hear the gospel twice till everybody's heard it once. Nobody deserves to hear it once or twice. Amen. If you hear the gospel, it's by the grace of God. Randy brought us a good devotion this morning about salvation is not free. It wasn't free to Christ, and it's not free to you. Let me tell you this. He says he causes sacrifices and all of that and our service let it be acceptable to God and you read what Paul has to say 
When a person is saved, what did Paul give up for salvation? He didn't save himself. Nothing of what he gave up brought salvation. But because he was saved, it cost him everything. He said everything. I've lost everything. And I count it all but dumb. It's all but lost. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his position. He lost his health, his well-being. He even lost his freedom. He spent much of his time in jail because of the gospel. Don't tell me that salvation was free to the apostle Paul. Now it didn't cost, salvation didn't cost him anything as far as what Christ paid because you see, Christ paid it all. Amen. Elder Ward said we, uh, those Armenians ought to sing, he paid part of it. Right. Jesus paid part of it. No, we sing Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Amen. Well, look at Isaiah 45 real quick. Now this is 700 years before Christ in the Old Testament. This is the same verse that Spurgeon heard when he was a young man. Somebody just read it to him on a snowy night in a little Methodist chapel. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. Well, now this is 700 years before Christ. It's Old Testament. And is, is God inviting everybody? All ye ends of the earth will look unto me and be ye saved. He's not calling anybody. If you, if you come on, come to Christ, come on. I didn't say you could, didn't say you would, said you ought to. God has commanded all men everywhere to repent. Didn't say you could, didn't say you would, but he said you ought to. And you're responsible to. And there's that invitation. You're here today, you hear the word, you hear it by the grace of God. God does not owe us a thing. The only thing we have that's ours are our sins. And the only thing we've got coming is judgment for our sins. That's all we own. You don't own anything before God except your sin and the judgment that is coming for, because of your sins. Well, verse 4 of our text he sent forth other servants saying tell them which are called or bidden behold I prepared my dinner my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready coming to the marriage God's preparation sometimes we open up the doors before we're ready God never does that. He's got everything ready. Amen. He's made all things ready to the praise of the glory of His grace. We went to Isaiah. Go back to Isaiah 55. Verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye by. Come ye by and eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk without money 
and without price. Now, in that sense, salvation's free. You got nothing that can purchase it. You got nothing that can buy it, not even a piece of it, especially including your works, your good works. You have none. All of your works of righteousness are as filthy rags in God's sight. You have no good works. And people don't like to hear that. All so-and-so just a good person. Well, if anybody's going to go to heaven, she surely will. Look what a good person she's been. Or if anybody's going to go to heaven, he sure will. Look what a good person he's been. No, there's not a, not a child of Adam, and we're all from Adam, that can go to heaven because of anything that we've done. As a matter of fact, the only thing that we are, are sinners, lost sinners. And unless we're saved by the grace of God through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to go and receive the due justice for all of our sins. Every soul that sinneth, it shall die. God will in no wise clear the guilty. Verse 5 of our text. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. These are the Pharisees. Now I tell you, I hear a whole lot of Gentiles doing the same thing. Well, Paul said in Romans, ain't no difference. <laughs> Jew or Gentile, there's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Out of their, out of their heart, out of their mouth comes dead men's bones. We were talking about this. If you're blood kin to somebody, do you think that carries a lot of weight with God? Well, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my brother, that's my mother, my daddy. And they're kin to me, I'm going, that's all right. No, let me tell you what. Their sin is just as abominable as yours is. Well, I want to take sides with my family against everybody. Not me. I can't help who I'm kin to. Nor can you. And when it's all said and done, my blood kin that don't repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ will die and burn in hell forever. And let me tell you, that severs all blood relationship. The only blood relationship that I can see that amounts to anything and carries on into eternity is the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul said he had a right to have a wife as long as she was his sister, his wife. I'm thankful to say my mother was my mother was my sister. There's the blood that matters. The blood of Adam. People get kind of clannish, boy. They stick with their, with their kin. Oh, well, I hear them say, well, well my son... He was a rapist and a murderer, and he's on death row, but I still love him, you idiot. You sinful idiot. Why would you love a murderer or a rapist? Something wrong with you, especially if you claim to be saved. I'm not for abominable people before God. So, well, you think you're better than they are. No, I'm different than they are. And I don't want to be around them because I don't want to be influenced by them. Amen. 
if I can be around them long enough to rebuke them with the word of God, absolutely I'll do that. But for me to hang out with them, not me. But they made light of it, verse 5. Anybody familiar with the word ameliorate? That means to soften something, make it easy to digest. That's where that word comes from. They made light of it, the word light. They made light of it. What they make light of? God's gracious invitation? They made light of it. Oh, I don't want to hear that. That ain't nothing. Well. And then he says later on that he sent forth his armies, destroyed them, and burned up the city. So all those poor people. Boy, you're into something you don't need to be into. Feeling sorry for them? Do you feel sorry for those people in Sodom and Gomorrah that God burned up with fire and brimstone? Do you feel sorry for all of those hundreds of millions of people that died outside of the ark in the flood of Noah's day? Do you feel sorry for those? Well, let me tell you, there was a whole lot of kin people out there. We ought not to shed tears for the damned, the judge. That word means judged. It's not a curse word. It's, it's an actual word. Look at Luke 19 real quick. This is in another parable. Verse 14. His citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, (laughs) We will not have this man to reign or rule over us. Do you think that there's not hundreds of millions of people that are saying the same thing right today? We will not have this man to rule over us. And when you study into this evolution, Charles Darwin and all of those, that ilk and that evolution, all these professors that teach their filthy evolution, the big lie, the biggest lie ever told, you know why they're telling that lie? Because they will not have this God to reign over them. So they've manufactured theories that eliminate God, eliminate the word of God. But you don't have to be a mental heavyweight to just look out and see. This didn't come here by itself. This didn't just blow up and was right here. What kind of How stupid do you have to be to believe some garbage like that? We could spend a lot of time in that. And where do you think all this came from? Now all the leaves, they all haven't left. This is still laying on the ground, but I think all the leaves that are going to fall off the trees are falling off. 
Now those trees just look dead. But now, long comes springtime, and it will be here, unless the Lord comes. It will be here. And you'll see those little buds on those branches. Next thing you see those little green leaves, then they'll grow up, and then they'll be full-fledged leaves. Do you know how long that's been going on? Could it be over 6,000 years? They say, well, that's just a young earth, 6,000 years. I don't think a 1,000 years is young. You all think a 79-year-old man is so old he ought not to even be living. Don't you, kids? You can't imagine anybody being that old. That's just 79 years. Now, how long do you think it took for that tree to evolve? And how did that tree know to sprout a bud? And how did that bud know to become a leaf? I don't know why they always do it, but every year, about October, I start seeing woolly worms out there by the front doors. Well, I like woolly worms. I don't want to, they get right there where I have to, I don't want to run over them. I don't want to hurt them. I'm not out to kill them. But you know, I found out a woolly worm, you know what that does? That woolly worm becomes a great big yellow moth and flies. How many of you have seen a woolly worm? Raise your hand if you've seen a woolly worm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, how does that woolly worm know to become a flying moth? That woolly worm cannot fly. How does it know? Well, I've got to start sprouting wings. <laughs> and it does. And where did he get the information in his DNA? And he's got DNA. He may have as much of it as we do. I think there are vegetables that have as much, uh, 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 whatever you call them, in the genome as much as we do. It takes a lot of information to kick that along. And yet you've got most people saying, oh, it just happens randomly. It does not. I see those woolly worms every year. That's not random. How does a doctor know where to cut into your chest to get to the heart? He don't cut into my butt to get the heart. He knows where to go right here to get to the heart, doesn't he? Because it's, it ain't random. It's there every time. What I'm saying is, these people have got the dumbest, stupidest, most dangerous religion ever, and it's called evolution, and they teach it in the Lexington government schools, and the UK, and the Eastern, and Transylvania, and all the rest of them. And they talk about how smart they're when they, they became foolish in their own minds, in their own hearts. Anyway, we will not have this man reign over. I ain't no God or no Bible or no Bible-thumping preacher going to tell me what I can and can't do. I ain't telling nobody what they can or can't do. I'm telling you what you must do. God said, repent or perish. He said to all men everywhere, repent or perish. Anybody ever prove that wrong? Not yet then. Not even close. Well, John 5.
Verse 39. Jesus said, search the scriptures. You know, he's talking about Old Testament here. At this time, there isn't any of the New Testament written. Matter of fact, it's about 12 years off. 45 AD, the first book, James written. There is no New Testament. He says, search the writings, the graphe, the scriptures, the Old Testament. For in them, y'all think you have eternal life. He's talking to the Pharisees. And they are they which testify of me. No wonder Andy Stanley says, get rid of the Old Testament. Because that's what testifies of Jesus God's Christ. But, look what he says in verse 40. And you all will, that's an infinitive, you will to not come to me that you might have life. Mm. Of course, over in chapter 6, verse 44, he says, no man can come to me except the Father which sent me hath drawn him at the draw him and I will raise him up at the last day but now it's not God's election's fault that more people don't come to him the whole the word is on us is on the blame is on them because they will not come to me oh well God's got to give everybody a chance Salvation is not by chance. Salvation is on purpose. By purpose, for purpose, with the purpose. And the one who's the author of the purpose is God Almighty from before the foundation of the world. Never is human depravity more clearly portrayed than in the rejection of the Lord of glory. There's the condemnation. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Okay, somebody said, well, I want my mother to be saved. I want my daddy, or I want somebody else to be saved. Okay. You going to blame God because or not? Are you mighty mistaken? They don't come to Christ because they won't come to Christ. And the only reason I came to Christ is because God made me willing in the day of his power. And there is essentially no difference between these people and the people today. They ridicule him. Are you not ridiculed? Anybody that takes a stand for the Lord? I don't know any of these young people. You go to school and you stand up and take a stand for the Lord. You think you won't be ridiculed? Maybe maybe that's why you don't because you don't want to be ridiculed. I've been ridiculed by even my so-called brethren preachers. Have I not been brethren? All the way through. But now I haven't lost any sleep over it. Let me, let me guarantee you that. I'm like Brother Tim. If I lose any sleep, I'll let you know. If I lose it, it ain't over that. I'll guarantee you that. Well, people won't like you if you say all that, preach all that. And? I want to be the servant of Christ. I'm not the servant of man. I'm the servant of Christ. Christ rejectors are worthy of more punishment. (laughs) Well, their attitude toward the gospel. uh, We've got to have riches. Got to have this. Got to have that. Look at verse 6 of our text. 
And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. These are Jews. These are Jews, Pharisees, that took the servants of God, the prophets, and slew them. Don't expect to be Mr. Popular and stand for the Lord. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. Yeah, that would be right. Well, we got to say it right. You know, it's true that we need to let our speech be with grace, seasoned with salt that we may know how to answer every man. But how do you tell a hell-bound, hell-deserving, lost sinner that he's at? Easy. How do you ease that across? It's kind of rough, isn't it? You just can't hardly do it. You don't want your flesh to get in the way, and that's for sure. But there's just so much you can do to ameliorate that message. Make it softer. Make it more palatable. If a preacher's done his job... Many will hate him, and nowhere do we see it illustrated, demonstrated any more than right here in verse 6. The remnant took his servants and entreated them, and spitefully, treated them spitefully, and slew them. Verse 7, but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. Now remember who we said the king is? That's God. Do not think that God is not aware. Amen. You can't slip up on the blind side of God. Do you know why? He doesn't have a blind side. He is the omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, self-existent one. And at the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, he will open the books. And one of those books is the book of remembrance. You see, We don't remember much. And we have selective remembrance, memories. Sometimes I wish I didn't remember what I do remember. I'd like to get rid of that. Paul, I think, boy said also. But many of the things we ought to remember, we kind of just let it fade. It does fade. But let me tell you what, the judge of the universe does not forget. And here's why. God is so holy, we we have neither the perception of how sinful man is, And that's because we have no perception of how holy God is. If we knew how holy God Almighty is, we would have a better understanding of the heinousness of one sin. We just don't have that knowledge. And we somehow think, well, my sins are not that bad. <laughs> and surely God let it pass. You know, you know, your mom and dad, if they're normal moms and dads, they don't remember everything you do. Oh, they may get on you about some things and then just don't want to fool with the other things. We do that. If you don't, you're 
drive yourself crazy in them too. We just don't have the capacity for all that. But a sin, first and foremost, is against God Almighty. If sin was just among, uh, against men, human beings, you don't have much to worry about. You can just do what you can get away with. And when you die, it's over with. But that's not the way it is. And when you begin to understand sin, sin, first and foremost, is against God. David pointed that out in Psalm 51. When he said, oh God, and I'm paraphrasing here, my sin is ever before me, and my sin is only against thee, O God. However, what sin was he talking about? Well, he was talking about his sin with Bathsheba, another man's wife. And he committed adultery with her and got her pregnant. That's a pretty serious sin, isn't it? That was against Bathsheba. That was against all Israel. He's king. It was against Uriah, the husband. Oh, and it's against God. Then he commanded Uriah, carried his own death wish, carried his own death warrant, wouldn't even look at it. Carried it back to Joab and all the troops. And their orders were put Uriah on the front line because that's where you get killed. And of course, he got killed. So effectively, David committed adultery with another man's wife. And then he had the husband killed, which was as far as David was concerned, he murdered Uriah the Hittite to keep him quiet about what was going on. And yet he said, my sin is against thee, and against thee only have I sinned. What about Bathsheba, and what about Uriah, and what about his family, and all the rest of them? Because if it's not against God, it doesn't matter a whole lot. But it's against God. Well, uh. Verse 7, when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed these murderers and burned up their city. Well, you see, the scrutiny of the king, divine scrutiny, you're not going to slip up on this blind side of God because he's got no blind side. The judge of all the earth is going to judge all the earth. Amen. So what well, hadn't happened yet? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. The wrath of God against all ungodliness has been revealed from heaven. God revealed his wrath in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, not only what happened with them internally, God cursed them all and then he drove them out of the Garden of Eden. I want to just mention this. You know, these kids are, you're exposed to this in school, where they teach you that caveman discovered fire. How many of you have heard them talk about cavemen when they finally discovered fire? Have you ever heard anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a lie. That's a stinking lie. Adam and Eve didn't live in a cave. Now there were, Lot went back and lived in a cave. There have been people living in caves. We got a fire station that's in a cave. 
Nothing wrong living in a cave. You're out in the wilderness, and you can come up on a cave. You're the smartest thing around to get in that cave and live in that cave. Got one way in, one way out. Don't have to have air conditioning. Don't have to have heat. Pretty safe. Good cave will protect you against the atomic bomb. Nothing wrong with the cave. There wasn't no half humans that lived in caves. But anyway, man did not discover fire. God had the cherubims right there at the Garden of Eden with flaming swords. Adam and Eve knew what fire was as they left the Garden of Eden. I'll tell you something else. They didn't, they didn't invent language. Did God come down in the cool of the day to talk, walk with Adam and Eve? Where did they learn how to speak? They learned it from God. And I believe God taught them how to write. I believe they started writing way earlier than all these idiots try to tell us. Anyway, I'll just throw those in there. It don't cost you anything extra. The judge of all the earth will separate the tares from the wheat. We can't do that. That has nothing to do with church discipline. That was Augustine's heresy. And the final judgment, God is the judge. He will separate the tares from the wheat, the lost from the saved. But let me ask you this, where will you be then? Isn't that a legitimate question? See, I don't care how old you are. I don't, care, I don't know how long you're going to live. But it doesn't really matter. If you live to be 40 or you live to be 100, you ain't going to live long. And when you die, you're going to be dead for a long time, but you'll be dead until the resurrection and you stand before God at the white throne judgment and you're just being judged to go into the eternal lake of fire that burns forever and ever. The smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. Well, I guess I could go over here. First Thessalonians, the second chapter real quick. Look at verse 15. Talking about the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God and are contrary to all men. That's the same bunch Jesus is talking to. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, the Gentiles, that they might be saved, ah, to fill up their sins all way, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Those that are opposing the Apostle Paul, don't tell me that God says he's going to bring every man to himself. He's letting them go to fill up their sin all way. Get their feel of what God has ordained. And then his wrath will come. So. Verse. Uh, 11. And when the king came in to see the guest. 
he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Mm. There's a man's dilemma without a garment. I've told you all this before. There used to be, it's still around, a Protestant made up a system of evangelization. And it was called Evangelism Explosion. I don't know if anybody's heard of it recently, but it was real, real widespread. I'm talking about even Baptist churches got into it. And it started out, you heard it the other day, didn't you? Here's what it starts out as. When you stand before God, and God asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? What will you say? That's, that is the point of that whole thing. And I say, you can't teach the truth by, by beginning with a lie. Look what he says here. And he saith unto him, verse 12, friend, how camest thou in here, hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. What are you going to say? There's nothing to say. And I'll tell you what, if you stand before God at the white throne judgment, there's nothing to say. Because you are guilty and you do not have a Savior. And the only thing you're going to hear is depart from me for I never knew you into everlasting fire. Hmm. Who is that self-righteous worker? Jesus talked about it in Matthew 7. Oh, have we not done many wonderful works in your name? You hear it all the time. Non-repentant, thought he had no need. Cain brought his offering, but the Lord told him, sin lies at your door, buddy. That's guiltiness. Responsibility and guiltiness. You won't be able to say, well, I didn't know, because you did know. You did hear. You did reject it. You did make fun of it. You did sit in church and make jokes. Every legalist will be there. Speechless. No excuse. Paul said that in Romans 1. Because of all the testimony of what God has created. All mankind is without excuse before God. And then, what will be the ultimate? Verse 13. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The ultimate end of every devil, of every Pharisee, and every unrepentant sinner. And this study ought to cause somebody to shake. It ought to. Oh, we don't want to scare them. Really? Jude said, you know, some saved with fear pulling their feet out of the fire. That's what I'm trying to do now. Take him away. He has nothing to say. And then finally, verse 14. Many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus said that somewhere about A.D. 32 to 33. Somewhere's in there. It was true then. It's true now. Oh, what about the glory days? And I, it's, there's never been a day that that scripture has not been true. There's never been a day since the Garden of Eden that that scripture has not been true. Many called, few chose. How many went on the ark? 
Eight. How many died in the flood? We don't know. Hundreds of millions, if not billions. Many called. Few chosen. Let's stand.